My name is Paul Waller and I'm a horror movie addict. During 2020, the workload for my music industry job is slowed right down. And at the same time, I discovered the movie social networking platform called Letterboxd. So, I decided to fill in the gaps of my horror film knowledge. I'm still averaging two a day. Almost, I reckon almost. And this podcast is the result of that horror compulsion. This is a year in horror. Welcome back, horror list lovers. You're more than killing it, I would say. Today, you're kinging it. You've pressed play on this stupendously stacked, sick experience, and I knew you would. So fingers crossed you've had a decent month, and now you're fully prepared to get stuck in to another big hitter episode with me, because today, we are heading towards a detour of sorts. Uh, instead of covering a year in horror, it's Stephen King time. Yeah, that's right. I watched each and every single Stephen King adaptation that I hadn't seen before. Then I rewatched a stack that I had seen. And then there's just a few left that I know back to front already. I think we all do with Stephen King adaptations. Um, last month, of course, I ran out of time to put this episode up, so I stacked up eight musician episodes from the vaults, the most popular of which surprised me, actually, was the episode where I covered the D. Snyder film called Strangeland, and that came out in, oh God, memories, 1998, I'm going to say, uh, and I covered that with indie rockers Goat Girl. That movie's a freak show, and that band is a bit of a freak show in the best of ways. So, yeah, many thanks to you if you checked out that episode or if you checked out any of those episodes. Uh, The stats over Christmas, they're just bizarre. And as I've mentioned to you a lot, because the only advertising I even do on this is on my personal social media account over at Instagram, I've actually got no idea how you find this thing. But I'm glad that you do, obviously. Uh, Feel free to rate the show wherever you listen to your podcasts, but also... Feel free not to do that. Don't bother if you don't want to. I'm not going to be losing sleep here, and I'm sure you won't be there. But doing a year in horror has been life-changing for me. Uh, To spend so much of my spare time putting this thing together for you with no advertisers or managers smashing deadlines at me, well, it's managed to keep this thing still a labour of love rather than just a labour. So, yeah, I've now been doing it for three years As was pointed out to me in an email that I received from one of you, uh, yeah, it was my third birthday of the podcast for January the 1st. So, yeah, again, that's a long way of just me saying thanks for listening. But before, before we get delving into the Stephen King experience, here's a little bit of all the old hard sell, right? We're doing the hard sell now. Guess what? (laughs) A Year in Horror has a Patreon page. You know it does. You know it. Uh, Thank you so much if you've already joined. But if you haven't, well, here's what's happening over there right now. Good Lord. 
If you join at the £4 tier, then the whole thing opens for you. You'll be supporting the show whilst listening to well over 100 episodes of extra content, which includes a ton of deep dives on each movie from the Video Nasty Tier 1 list. And I'll get to that in a second, uh, but this month I'm going to be chatting with my lifelong buddy Daniel Sargent about the Star Wars series called Ahsoka, uh, which happened to be on Disney Plus late last year, but it's taken me a long time to get round to it. And maybe, and truly, that isn't horror enough. So, uh, as I just mentioned, coming up on the Video Nasty series this month, we are finishing off those Tier 1 Video Nasties. And it begins with a salty chat with Nate from Give Me Back My Action and Horror Movies podcast. We talk about the werewolf and the yeti, whatever the hell that nonsense was. Uh, Then I'm going into my solo thoughts on that multifaceted delirious disaster that is Mardi Gras Massacre. And then we're going to finish off the video nasty season with the big one. Uh huh, the big one. Shay Mosafin and myself, we are doing a deplorable deep dive on I Spit on Your Grave. And that's just this month. There's so many back episodes there. More odds and sods up there than you can fit in a skip. Pay that guy who you know is going to take it away and dump it right into your ear holes. At least four new episodes for you to dive in each month, making sure you're getting all that bang for your buck. And most importantly, you're supporting a year in horror, keeping me fired up and hungry to deliver to you some very interesting side quests to this, which is, of course, the main event. You can catch it all at patreon.com forward slash a year in horror. Thank you in advance. But for now, you've clicked on this episode and this is the Stephen King episode of the podcast. Yes, I'm about to deliver to you part one of that rundown, the very best of Stephen King. Now, how did I do this? Well, I found 58 horror films and popped in the other nine non-horror films in a handy chart for you. I ranked them all worst to best as well. And with this episode like normal, uh, if I'm covering a film that you don't want to hear about, you don't like, you don't care for, or you just want to skip on, then, well, all the time codes are in the notes, but do be careful because they also act as spoilers for what's coming up next. And with each episode, I'm joined by some delightful guests and they help me sift my way through the most interesting films of this bunch, to them at least. And for this, the Stephen King big hitter episode, well, we've got no new guests at all. They've all appeared on the show before. So coming back into the fold, we've got these wonderful regular guests in alphabetical order. Let's do it. So we begin with the absolute delight that is actor Adrienne Barbeau. And then we take in astronomer Mark Canali, the musician Paul Chanter, the musician James Chapman and the musician Alexander Heff. We've also got film critic Brad Hansen, we've got podcast host Lono, and a rather spiffing chat with the legendary UK director Neil Marshall. I guess you can have too much of a good thing. Plus, when you make it to the very end of the episode, I'm going to be picking out of a bag, uh, at random of course, the very next year that I'm going to tackle for the next month's edition of the podcast. Here's the most important thing though, I'm simply an enthusiast. I'm a fan of these things. I'm not a scholar of horror. I'm just a dabbler in the dark arts. And for the most part, I don't watch any of these things academically. It is just a deep love. I get excited still about all this stuff every single day. So please remember, this is all my opinions and it is a list show. If I miss something out that you love, let me know about it. 
I do want to discover new movies. I've said it so many times. Uh, if I pick up a great tip from you, I will let you know. And uh, if you pick up a great tip from me, give it a watch. It's a pleasure to hear from you. Uh, I'm not lying about that. I will get back to you all as well. Feel free to contact this podcast. My email is a year in horror at gmail.com and that will guarantee you an answer. Uh, you can just follow me though at Waller Not Weller on Letterboxd or Instagram, or you can hit me up at Not Weller Pod on Twitter. So if you're ready, let's strap in. It's Stephen King. You wanted the worst of the worst. You've got the worst. It's the worst of the worst of the worst. It's the worst of Stephen King adaptations. Oh yeah, here we go. It's the top 10. And we have to begin these big hitter episodes by taking out the trash. And I'm well up for it. People are often saying that they don't want to be negative on podcasts. There's enough negativity in the world. I'm saying there's not enough negativity in the world. And I'm here to create more negativity. So we're going to begin this worst 10 Stephen King adaptations, according to me, Paul Waller, not Weller. Let's go. Uh, we're going to begin in 2022 with the snooze-laden Mr. Harrigan's phone. Now, this is the longest Apple advert to date with a bonus Ziggurat song. So, what's not to like about that? Uh, you know, well, I'll tell you what. It's the fact that it's the longest Apple advert to date with a bonus Ziggurat song. That's what's wrong with it. Uh, worse than that, though, somehow is Desperation from 2006. It's a made-for-TV movie. Uh, the religious aspects in this miniseries, though, they deal rather heavy-handedly, let's just say that. It made me do a little sick in my mouth at points, but it is a great setup. I have to give it that. Uh, it's just a poor payoff. It's a big letdown, in fact. I'm not having it. Desperation, no. And how does it get worse than that? Easily. Riding the bullet is next. It's just objectively not a great film, but I don't really know what else director Mick Garris could have done here. Uh, this is the one with the, the sort of childhood cliche emo boy who's got this fixation with death and a roller coaster incident that happened when he was younger. Uh, it's got a ghostly element too. It's sort of tacked on this one in the flimsiest of ways. Oh dear. And next up, this is the one where at the beginning of this whole exercise, I thought it would be the number one worst adaptation uh, from a Stephen King novel or book or novella or whatever. Uh, but it's nowhere near. I'm talking about Brett Leonard's 1992 stab at the lawnmower man. From Stephen King. He's out there. On the edge of your dreams. This is beyond anything I ever expected. In the corner of your eye. My intelligence has surpassed yours. In the center of your brain. Mind over matter, Dr. Angelo. God made him simple. Science made him a god. Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man. Rated R. Experience it Friday at a theater near you. So this is the synopsis of The Lawnmower Man, according to Letterboxd. A simple man is turned into a genius through the application of computer science. Now, we're off that, by the way. That's it. Uh, now, <laughs> take the premise of that. Apply some 1992 CGI trickery. Strap in, because my goodness, 
you're in for something. Yeah. In recent years, it's sort of become a little bit of a so bad it's good style movie. But for me, I'm not there yet. It's just bad. It's just bad. Uh, I'm going to be covering this one soon enough on Breaking Ben as well over on the Patreon channel. So we'll see how that goes. Nothing breaks him. So I thought, why not include some of the worst CGI ever put to celluloids? And whatever could be worse than the lawnmower man? Let me look at my list. Here we go. Oh, have you seen The Mangler from 1995? Boy, oh boy. Boy, oh boy. Toby Hooper and Robert England back together after that incredible start on Eaten Alive. And they come up with this. It's not even my favourite film about a laundry machine. It's very bad. But let's take this right up to date now. Uh, 2023's take on Children of the Corn. Wanna see something? It doesn't have to be like this. Children of the Corn. Now, this is the uh, 2023 remake of Children of the Corn, but it may not be. This one had some release date issues. In 2020, in fact, it played a few online festivals because of the pandemic. Uh, a bit later on, it played a film festival. And then it got delayed for like three years or something. And that is the most interesting thing about this whole film. I mean, what a pile of old boots this Stephen King adaptation is. Like, from the below-pass CGI again to the laughable script, the nonsense scenarios. It's just odd that it was never like an endurance test to watch. I, I got through it fine. It was just shit. Almost every scene was worse than the one before it, but at places I found it a joyous mess. So yeah, I don't really know what to say except it's a joyous mess. I'll tell you what was worse than the 2023 adaptation of Children of the Corn though. Well, it was another one. It was a 2009 made-for-TV remake of Children of the Corn. Of course it was. Pretty much the same uh, aspect of the whole film there, except without the joy. So all that joy's gone. It's bad. It's really, really bad. So this next one. Well, there is a certain guest that I have coming on here on a regular basis that will be kicking himself and probably kicking me uh, if he could see me right now because he forgot that this was a Stephen King adaptation. He forgot to talk about it. It's a George A. Romero film and yeah, this is Lono that I'm talking about. My good friend Lono. Mr. George A. Romero is a stone-cold horror icon this guy loves him to pieces. This film is the dark half. Thad Beaumont's books are larger than life. Whoever thought you was a celebrity. I'm not the celebrity George Stark is. Hotter than hell. These behaviors could be interpreted as schizophrenia. And badder than bad. You really don't realize what you like when you write those books, do you? It's like watching Jekyll turn into Hyde. Based upon a book by Stephen King, The Dark Half, rated R, starts Friday, April 23rd. Now, I watched The Dark Half, 
and I rated it at the very beginning of me putting together a year in horror. So it was a long, long time ago, maybe three, ah. So just over three years ago, I watched it. Maybe I was just in a shitty and unforgiving mood, although maybe this film is just shitty and unforgiving. Uh, the synopsis is Tad Beaumont is the author of a highly successful series of violent pulp thrillers written under the pseudonym of George Stark. But when he decides to kill off his alter ego in a mock ceremony, it precipitates a string of sadistic murders matching those in his pulp novels, which are soon discovered to be the work of Stark himself, looking like a maniacal version of his counterpart. Stark is not so willing to quit the writing game, even if it means coming after Tad's wife. Terrible. Terrible. The second worst Stephen King adaptation film thingy that I saw was called The Devil's Gift. Now, what what's that, you might be asking? Well, I saw it on YouTube. It's directed by Kenneth J. Burton. This film's plot is very similar to one that Stephen King penned called The Monkey. It's a short story. This whole thing led to some believing that the filmmakers actually plagiarised the story. Uh, and it was pointed out to me when I interviewed Shay Mosafin recently on Patreon for the video Nasty, I Spit on Your Grave, that... I hadn't known that this even existed until the very moment she spoke the words. And to be honest, I wasn't missing anything. A film like Annabelle did this thing some 30 years later with a toy doll rather than a toy monkey. And as much as I am on the fence with Annabelle, well, I much preferred that to this. It's a ploddy 80s festival of bore. So with that being said, here is that top 10 rundown. At number 10, it's Mr. Harrigan's phone. At 9, Desperation. At number 8, Riding the Bullet. At number 7, it's the Lawnmower Man. At 6, we've got the Mangler. In at 5, it's Children of the Corn from 2020. No, 2021. No, 2022. Maybe 2023. Following that, at number four, it's Children of the Corn. That's a 2009 one, that. At number three, The Dark Half. At two, The Devil's Gift. And here we go. Yeah, we've reached it. We're at the number one spot. It's back to 1997 with trucks. You are now entering a town called Lunar. Morning. First time in this part of the cosmos. Looking for flying saucers? <laughs> I don't even want to live in a place like this. Dad, it's too quiet here. Where something strange is going on. Electricity is out for most areas. It'll be at least 24 hours before we can get to you. Can't get nothing on the CB. Phones are out. What's up? Is there anyone driving? Trucks don't drive by themselves. A mysterious force has taken hold. 
These trucks appear to have an intelligence. They're talking to each other. They're up to something. And the traffic is way out of control. That was the Ruddy, Ruddy Rodden trailer of Trucks. Uh, of all the films that maybe didn't need a remake, I would definitely say that Maximum Overdrive is that film. Uh, Trucks was actually a TV movie, and the fantastic and gory Postman versus Radio Controlled Toy, uh, it's a truck smash-up. That thing aside, this adaptation of Trucks from Night Shift is just utterly lifeless. I didn't expect it to have like that cocaine fueled pizzazz that Maximum Overdrive had, but at the same time, I expected way more from Brenda Bakey. She's acting like she's just dipping into a bag of Zolpidem, like between takes. It's pretty much a moribund film, this. And that's that. That's the worst 10 movies made from the mind of Stephen King. Number one was Trucks. It's the non-horror section of the Stephen King film adaptation big hitter episode, i.e. exactly what you're listening to here. And it's called Sci-Fi Corner with a slight difference because uh, a five out of these nine films are not science fiction or fantasy at all. Sci-Fi Corner. Also, if you think about it properly, like when else am I going to get a chance to speak about the Shawshank Redemption? I don't think I'm ever going to be able to do that, apart from on this show. So, with little more to say, little more to do, let's head up now to the Walla Not Wella Mothership, shall we? Right, here we are, up in the stars let's begin shall we with the very worst one of these films but it's still rather good it's dolan's cadillac from 2009 it's really slow christian slater chews up the scenery as this human trafficking mob boss it's not too much fun but i guess where's bentley he's a natural if you want to be playing a loser that has had his wife blown up then yeah where's bentley's got it down also, when that final act does happen, the whole movie picks up, and it's great. It subtly ushers in this excellent revenge plot that we've been waiting for for the whole film. And core blimey, at number eight, I've placed Hearts in Atlantis from 2001. It's a Stephen King adaptation that most resembles a lifetime drama, except it will actually make you well up. And it stars Anton Yelchin and also Anthony Hopkins. 
if you want some real acting pedigree in your daytime drama sort of thing. And yeah, still, I thought that The Dark Tower from 2017 was better. Yeah, I know. Don't yell at me. N not yet, anyway. I've not read the books, so I don't actually know if everyone that says, oh, it's the best thing Stephen King's ever done, because that's how everyone talks. I don't know if they are that good, because I've not read them. But I did enjoy the film, even though everyone hated it. I just wish it went on for another hour or so, so it made a little bit more sense. Yeah, I know, I know, I get it. So let's go into the real high pointers now. At 7 out of 10, I've given this one. It's time for The Running Man from 1987. The height of Arnie mania. The height of King mania. What a collision of madness. And well, as luck would have it, one of my guests this month opted to chat all about this with me. When asked, wouldst thou like the taste of butter? He said, sure. A pretty dress? He said, of course. Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? You bet, he said. Honest, his words, not mine. And here to report back on that, and Stephen King, well, it's Alexander Heff, of course, drumming man with the UK hardcore maniacs going off. Let's listen back on this chat from mid-November 2023. In the year 2017, an innocent man accused of a crime has a choice. Hard time or prime time. Sensational, perfect contestant. I want him. He must pay or play the running man. On your mark! I'll be back. Go! The highest rated TV show in history. Guess they want us to stay. It's a game between life and death. Can you lift? Arnold Schwarzenegger is the running man. He's playing for a prize. The prize is his life. How about the life? The Running Man. Alexander, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, mate. I'm very happy to be back. Yes, uh, it's good to have you back. We're going to begin. You've chosen The Running Man from all the Stephen King adaptations. Uh, you've gone for The Running Man, which I was well pleased with because... Although I find this one ridiculously cheesy, I love every bit of cheese that's in it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So before we get to Running Man, what's your history with Stephen King? I'm, I made some notes, right? So I'm just sort of like checking the notes. And the first sentence, I'm actually really embarrassed to say, I've never read a Stephen King book. I'm not... I'm not a big reader, right? Okay. Don't look at me like that. Okay. I'm not a big reader. I'm not a big reader. I mean, anything I read is usually like an autobiography or something about a musician or a footballer or a movie star or something. Like I've read Tarantino's most recent book. I'm reading, currently reading, um, you know, the band Lush from the 90s, like the sort of shoegazy Britpop band. Oh, yeah, with Mickey. Mickey. I'm reading Mickey's book. So I'm sort of Good halfway... Book. 
just over halfway through that at the moment. But yeah, for some reason, I love horror. I've just never really read any sort of horror fiction, even no Clive Barker, no Stephen King, like nothing. And I don't know why. I think the, the closest thing I've read to horror was like Goosebumps back in the day when we used to have like book fairs at school and they had all Goosebumps books with the cool artwork. And I remember reading a whole bunch of Goosebumps books. But yeah, I'm pretty embarrassed to say I haven't actually read any Stephen King, but I've seen most of his movie adaptations, so that's something, I suppose. I'll cling got, on to that. I've got one to go that I haven't seen yet, and it's the new adaptation of Children of the Corn. Oh, is that this this year? It's it very came, recent, it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it was made 2020, mm. but it wasn't released until 2023. Mm-hmm. Which, was that straight to streaming, I take it? I think it was, yeah. It must how have been, yeah. How yeah. could it not be? <laughs> <laughs> so you've have you even like done an audio book? Have you like your favorite film? Have you done, oh, listened to Actually, audiobooks? actually, n- now you say it, I remember on my old do you remember iPods? Yeah. iPods. Yeah, oh, oh yeah. Good old iPods. I had that torrented a bunch of Stephen King audiobooks, and I think I started carry, but I just kept falling asleep. I'd put it on when I went to bed and the, I can't remember who the narrator was, but he had a really relaxing sort of like David Attenborough-esque voice and he used to just put me to sleep instantly. So yeah, I even tried the audiobooks, but I didn't even have the atten- attention span for audiobooks. I was just falling asleep every night. So yeah, never, I've never, I know people who have read them. I used to see people reading them like on public transport and stuff. Or when you go on holiday, I'd see someone with like the giant, it book with like a cool picture of a balloon <laughs> floating out of a grid and thinking oh that looks cool i probably should read that but yeah really embarrassing i've never read any of his books but the, the movies you know i love the shining the stanley kubrick one carries one of my all-time favorites as brian de palma just excellent film i watched stand by me at the weekend because my partner has never seen it before so that was a good revisit dead zone misery uh christine john carpenter love that one I love the first Pet Cemetery, the TV movie. Even last year, I went to the um, Grimfest in Manchester and watched Sleepwalkers. And Mick Garris oh, wow. was there doing a Q&A with um, the lady that was in it. Um, I don't know her name. She was in Star Trek. Uh, Alice something, I think she's called. Oh, Creed. She really nice. Yeah, Alice Creed, yeah. Um, so I watched the movie and then did a Q&A. And then he did a, wow. a live podcast with uh, your man from the League of Gentlemen. Um, sorry, I'm really bad with names. Um is it Reese Shearsmith? You've got it. Yeah, I got it. it. So I watched a live podcast after that. But yeah, it was great. They were talking about Stephen King and, you know, most of his movies I love. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, just, I think I should maybe just go and buy some Stephen King books and just throw my phone in the bin. What do you what? think? No, I don't know. <laughs> like, because so, sometimes it will affect the the way you watch the films going forward. Mm-hmm. It's strange. I don't like that. I, if I read the book first, it gets me mm-hmm. dead excited. I remember reading Under the Dome. And because I read that first, mm-hmm. ab- absolutely excited for the, for the, for the show, but it was, it didn't live up to my expectations, but mm-hmm. I like doing it that way when you do it the other way. So like, I went back and read Carrie and like it didn't have that same thing for me. I went back and read The Shining and I was really disappointed with the book. Mm. Um, even after watching the, uh, uh, the, there was a TV remake of The Shining, uh, mm-hmm. which was proper, not great. But Is that um, the one Stephen King loves? Like he hates the yeah. Kubrick movie, but he loves this shitty TV adaptation, which everyone hates, but he loves. Yeah. 
it follows the book pretty closely, which I guess is is why. But mm-hmm. again, like because I've got those things from the the cinematic universe in my head, mm-hmm. I didn't like going back that way. And I've never read The Running Man, so why choose this one of the whole plethora? Why choose The Running Man? I think when we did, you had me on the Video Nasties episode, and the list I got was like the dregs. Yeah. All the good ones had been taken, you know. Every, everything had been gone. I ended up with Madhouse, which isn't a very good film. Um, <laughs> no shade to you there. You know, it was still a good, fun watch and fun talking to you about it. But um, yeah, you, you were like, okay, I'll tell you, I think you felt a bit bad for me. And you're like, you know what? I'm doing a Stephen King next. If you want to take a look at the list, you can choose, you can be one of the first to choose. So I was like, my man. So had a look. <laughs> I saw the running man right at the top and just thought, oh yeah, fuck it. I, I, I he wrote the. He wrote it under a different name, didn't he? I'm sure he didn't write. Yeah, yeah, Richard King. Backman. Richard Backman. So, I was like, "Fuck it, yeah, let's do the Running Man." I just bought the 4K, and I was looking for an excuse to watch it. And I just remember it being. It was just always. I, thinking back, it was probably the first Arnie film I actually saw. It used to be on. I, I'm 30. How old am I? 37. So I was born in like 1986. So in the 90s, when I was a kid. I always remember the Running Man being on ITV. What? It was it was always on TV. I, I can't remember why. There's just a bunch of films I always remember watching as a, as a kid that were on ITV, and it was always the James Cameron Aliens, the Running Man. I think Commando was one I, I saw at a young age. That was another Arnie one. I remember my cousin babysitting me and having Predator and him letting me watch the first part of it until they landed in the jungle and then he was like right that time and I was like right okay <laughs> but yeah I, I just remember the running man always being on tv and I remember being in primary school so I must have been like seven or eight years old and everyone watching it on ITV and then coming in the next day and talking about it and everyone just thought it was so you know awesome and funny there's so many sort of like like you said before it's it's just the most ridiculously cheesy movie ever and I've just always really enjoyed it. I think it's just a really fun film. Um, the idea of just having like a futuristic game show and all these years later, I feel like we're not fucking far off that yeah, now. Right. I feel like in the next 10 years, you might have something like this on TV. You know, you got like I'm a Celebrity where, you know, I've, I just saw that Nigel Farage is going into I'm a Celebrity. So to watch that cunt eat some fucking kangaroo bollocks or something might be... <laughs> I hate the guy, but... I've got to watch that, you know what I mean? I've got to see some YouTube <laughs> clip of Nigel Farage getting pelleted with fucking shit and eating testicles, you know. Um, so yeah, I don't think we're that far off it, you know, in, in 2023. No, I don't know how much of a good film that would make, though, watching... Well, I don't know, actually, yeah. That would... Ooh. Yeah. All right, okay, I'll watch that. So a, a few things I pulled out. Like, So when I was doing my rewatch, I was just scooting across the internet I've seen this so many times, I didn't need to rewatch, to be honest. But I found out that Christopher Reeve was uh, attached originally to play Ben Richards, the Schwarzenegger role. I thought, that's weird. Yeah, I can't Reeve. see it. I just can't see it. I, I don't know. Like, I, I listened to a, a podcast yesterday about um, the John Carpenter film Village of the Damned, and Christopher Reeve was like, it, was that like his last film before his accident or one of his last films before yeah, yeah, yeah. He had his horrific accident? And, um, I just can't see it. Like, I can't, I don't know. I can't imagine anyone but Arnie in this role. Right. Yeah, it's weird. It's, the way it's written, it's like he's such a star at that time 
that like everything revolves around like his stardom. There is not one scene in there that you don't think this is an iconic superstar that is appealing to like all those teenage boys and girls that love him out there. Every single thing is like filmed around that way. There's no like a serious exposition and like contemplation or anything like that with what no, might no. happen in if you put into that scene. Uh, it's just like, bosh, this is the action hero. Here you go. Which I, I, I freaking love it to be that. Like, because there's not many films that you get these days that are anything like it. So no, like well, a- that's the thing. There's like a, a tiny bit of sort of story, you know, exposition at the start. And then he's quite literally dropped into the action by a fucking shoot, you know, by some sort of, you know, futuristic slide going a million miles an hour down a hole. And that's it. He's, you're right. He's just there. He's literally dropped into the action. So the budget for this thing, 27 million, which at the time was quite, quite steep. And it did okay. It did 38 million in the US box office. So that, like, that was pretty, pretty good. Yeah, it's made its like, money back, yeah. Yeah, but it, for him, it was sort of a, not a flop, but like, wow, this is a, this is not what I wanted. So it's an interesting period. And we'll go through his films in the 80s in a moment. I'm going to give you the IMDb and the Rotten Tomatoes and wonder what you think mm-hmm. of it. So IMDb gives it 6.7 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 66 critic and audience 61. So yeah, pretty much a 6 out of 10 sort of film here. Mm. I give it way more. <laughs> I give it an, a straight 8. <laughs> But like, where do you sit with it now after you've done this rewatch? Where where would you put that out of ten? This is just you can just sit down on a, a weekend or Friday night or something, get a takeaway in, crack a couple of beers open with your mates or your missus, whatever. This is a perfect switch your brain off, sit down, let's go type of film. There's no you know once you start putting any sort of you know, under the sort of critical magnifying glass or whatever. Sure, you can fucking rip it apart, but it gives a shit. It's just pure fun to me. It's pure cheese, pure fun. It does everything I want it to do, essentially. Wicked. We're on the same boat. Um, So fuck you, IMDb. (laughs) Fuck you, Ron Tomatoes. One day, I'm hoping, like, (laughs) that's all I want from this thing that I'm doing for for years and years and years. I just want to be like a... Uh, rotten tomato critic so i can bump yeah. up some scores on my like yeah, favorite films are so low yeah uh, you have the power <laughs> yes okay the importance of arnie in the 80s is the title of this little section and i'm gonna go through his films of the 80s and i want want to know what you think of them um it could we could do a line you could go on for half an hour i don't care so we're going to begin with the two conan films conan the barbarian 82 conan the destroyer 84 uh had you watched them were they part of your life growing up i think i rewatched the first one recently and this was another one an itv special that used to be on a lot but yeah i think as a kid I, I didn't really get it but now i've gone back and watched it as an adult um i think i watched it like last month or a month before the first one and um it's great it. it's great it's, it's like all the set pieces are like incredible like I, some of the scenes in it are just like unbelievable and he's just got like talk about like perfect casting he is just conan do you you know what i mean it's like there's not a lot to it it's just another great watch it's pretty cheesy again just his sheer look alone just sort of makes the film and 
how many movie stars can do that? Like he's the only one. I'm pretty sure there's, you know, I, I don't think I've seen the second one actually. Now you mention it. Wow. I, I must I must have done, but I can't remember. I don't even know. I remember the was it the Red Sonia? Yep, eighty five. That... So Red Sonia right. is uh, eighty five. Bridget Nielsen, like I mm. thought she was a star, but no, the top billing uh, casting is Arnie. Although he's not in it as much as her. Strange. I, I, I'm definitely going to have to dig that out and watch it this week or next week. Well, I'd say the second Conan film. And also Red Sonia, nowhere near as good as that first no. one. But okay. still definitely worth a watch. I mean, I think there is a scene where Arnie is a little boy is spinning that uh, that wheel in mm-hmm. the desert. And then mm-hmm. that, like, he spins around and you see him older and older and older. And, mm-hmm. and then he's like Conan pushing this thing around. And you just think, wow. <laughs> yeah. What, what just... a thing. So iconic. I love it. He's just yeah. such a, like, you know... Just once you see him on the cover of that movie with the sword and the hair, you're just like, fuck it, why not? Let's do this. Let's watch a fucking, let's watch Conan the Barbarian. Which brings us to 1984, Terminator. Now, for me, I think this is a straight 10. Uh, Where are you falling on Terminator these day and age? Terminator 1 is underrated as fuck. I think... T2 is so good, it sort of steals the limelight from the... Well, let's be honest, it's a fucking terrible franchise. The first two movies, perfection, both of them. Then everything else is just fucking utter stink fest. Like, literally, so, so bad. I didn't even watch the last one with the woman from Game of Thrones in it. I just... I, I can't even remember what it was called. Was it called like Genesis or something like that? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Fucking hell. I remember going to see three when I was younger at the cinema and it was just absolute dog shit. I, I remember everyone in the cinema was like actually laughing. It, it was like an opening night thing and people were laughing and getting up and leaving and just not coming back. And people got bored and started like throwing popcorn and stuff. So it couldn't even hold its audience. And I, I still remember that vividly right. from being a teenager. But Terminator One is just a straight up slasher film. You know, it's I think any sort of horror sci-fi um, fan would just get a huge kick out of it. And sadly, I, I do think it's very underrated. Do, do you prefer it to the second? Or I do. Yeah, yeah, do I, 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 I really do. I remember mm-hmm. being in the cinema for the second, and it was like the Phantom Menace sort of thing where you get swept up. Doesn't matter if the film's mm. good or bad, but you just get swept up in that whole stuff going on before yeah, and the hysteria yeah that's it everyone in the Ooh. cinema is so excited before it starts <laughs> uh and unlike like phantom menace where months later you think well hang on actually it wasn't that great or mm-hmm. was it you question yourself it never happened with terminator 2 it was just always great like you said about like cert- certain clips of, of films everything's a banger like Oh, I can't mm. wait for it to get to this next bit. Oh, next bit, liquid mm-hmm. metal. Like the whole thing. So <laughs> <Right. good. laughs> I love it. That's um, the thing. I've never, I've never seen. I've, I've seen Terminator Two on the big screen a couple of times, and I even saw it. I went to London with my partner when we first got together, and it was like we were visiting her family around Christmas time, and the Prince Charles Cinema um, in Soho um, had like a. I think it was like a 70 millimeter print or something with like old sort of audio. And we went to watch it and it was just fucking so cool. Like the, the actual 
the grain on the film, it looked like shit, but it was just so sick to watch it because it was just like, I was like, oh, this is what people were watching when yeah. it came out, you know, in 1990, whenever it was. And so I've seen Terminator 2 in the cinema where it looks like shit. And I've seen the, obviously the new sort of like, was it like Studio Canal who like did it up like the 4K version as well, but just such a great film, but never seen Terminator 1 in the cinema. And I would absolutely love to see that on the big screen. Yeah, I want to know if it will hold up uh, with today's audiences, uh, because like you say, there is like all that slasher element to it, but it is mm. a real 80s slasher element to it. Like there are various slow patches in that film, mm-hmm. which I don't know how they would run with today's audiences, but I don't know. I love going to cinema with my daughter because she's so young, uh, but old enough to like get into 18s. So it's just like oh, like, excellent. Yeah, so it's really weird watching her and like her attention span. And like, <laughs> like if I put something like Terminator Two on, she's like, "What is this old shit? What are you making mm. me watch?" So it's <laughs> weird. weird. It's like our parents showing us their favorite movies, whatever the hell that would would have been at the time. But that's the thing. Like, I, I think Terminator One is just like I always forget when I rewatch it how like super gritty it is. It's dirty. The streets look dirty everything just looks filthy and it's great it's just a, a great film i don't actually own it either I, I don't know if it's a have you got a good 4k or dvd no, no i've got a now? crappy old dvd that i've just mm. played to death i think i might have it in a dvd wallet upstairs um but yeah that i don't know why that's not on a, a nice new if i ever see that coming out on 4k or something i'll definitely buy it i don't care how much it is i'll i'll definitely yeah, I, I need to revisit it as well. It's been a while. Oh god, yeah, just fill it to the brim with extras. <laughs> I will pay 40, 50 quid, whatever. Take my money. <laughs> Don't say that. They'll hear you, and then they'll put it up for that. Listening in. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay. Um, moving on. Now, now there's a couple of smaller ones here. Mm. Eighty-five. He does Commando. Uh, now you've already mentioned it. Like, did that mean anything to you growing up? Yeah, another ITV gem that was just no. always on. So I think I think I saw this as a, a in primary school. So I must have been really young. I always remember Commando just being more of a sort of good time movie. It was sort of funny. It's not too violent. It's got those stupid steel drums on the soundtrack, which makes it seem a bit more of a sort of good time. Yeah, I think Commando is just a good action film. You know. I, I, yeah. There's nothing too sort of nasty about it. It's it's got a couple of cheesy lines in it. It's got the absolutely ridiculous intro where his him and his daughter are sort of feeding deer and and putting ice cream on each other's noses and all that. And um, it's just a good time. I, I love Commando. It's sort of a comfort movie for me. I think I could just throw that on in the evening and just sort of lie back and, like you say, you know all the beats, you know what's coming next. And yeah, it's just a good time as far as action films go. I, I, I don't know why. It's just in my brain. It doesn't strike me as being particularly violent or nasty or anything. I know it has its moments, obviously, with the blow off some steam Bennett at the end, or he puts a pipe through someone's torso. But um, yeah. Well, you're, what what do you are you a fan of Commando? Well, I had the biggest row at school about this one, and I am going to put the same argument to you. So. <laughs> Uh, there is a scene in this at the beginning where Arnie's carrying the biggest log, that ridiculous yes. log. Yeah, is shoulder. that a real log? Is it just so? Just because I love Arnie and I want the legend of Arnie to live on in my mind, I'm going to say yes. But 
I don't know. I'd like to think that he went on set that day and they were like, Arnold, we have a fake version. And he was like, I don't want fake. I want the real version. Give me, I get to act like I did myself. That's how it played out in my head anyway. What, what was your side of the argument that it was fake? I would say there's no way that a human can carry <laughs> that much wood. It's not possible. No, no, I don't think so. And, but... uh, and yeah, my friends were like, no, like he's a a, a purist. Like he would mm. not fake it. Uh, so yeah, I I still don't know. Uh, I've not like what watched a commentary or anything to find out if it's true. So yeah, maybe that'll know. be on the extras when like, this gets the four K bump. <laughs> so all right, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fall out with you over it though. Don't worry, it nah. won't won't be like I, no, I think in theory I do agree with you, but in my heart I'm just gonna in my mind I'm just gonna say he did a real tree. Of course it's he did. So, it's so huge. It's, it's gigantic. Yeah, it is gigantic. <laughs> and he doesn't even look arsed. He doesn't even look like he's struggling. It's like, okay, there yeah. you go. Yeah. He's a peasy. It's like a twig to him. Now, this one, I don't know. I've definitely seen it, but raw deal. Like, I don't know. I don't know what we, it is. Me and my partner watched this, I think, a couple of weeks ago. It was on one of the streaming services on a Friday, and it was absolute dog shit. It was awful. It was awful. And I, I actually thought, I couldn't actually believe it because I saw Arnie in it. It had like a pretty cool cover. And I think there's a reason people haven't seen this one. Like like you said, then any Arnie film, you, you can sort of just mention and you can remember where you were the first time you saw it, how many times you've seen it, what happens in the movie. Yeah. And this one, I can't even remember. I couldn't even tell you what the plot was about. It, he was he was like a an FBI guy and he fucked up on some job or something or someone was after him. So he had to go to this like small town with his wife and live this really boring hum humdrum life. But it just makes me laugh because he's just fitting in in this town and he doesn't, he's got his accent and he looks like a fucking brick shithouse and no one's even questioning where this man came from or why he's here. And he, yeah, his wife, he had to like uproot his wife and bring her and she's bored. And then he gets you know a call from the old team and it's like we need you again and he's like right let's fucking go like i can leave this shit town and get back to some actual like police work but yeah it wasn't very good um oh you made it sound pretty good though it, no I, I think i've just sold it really well but um def definitely check it out but it i think if there's an arnie film and you don't really know it and you can't picture it when someone reads the title then you know it's going to be a stinker hmm Right. Um, I think the rest are slam dunks here. Uh, we'll find out. Predator, 1987. Probably my favourite Arnie movie. Um, it's just perfect. You know, I've <laughs> we've got this on 4K and whenever guests come round, it's like, what should we watch? Oh, let's fucking stick Predator on. Predator's yeah. on all the time. You know, if my, you know, my girlfriend's parents come over, it's Predator. Her brother comes to visit, it's Predator. You know, it's just a great crowd pleaser it's sci-fi it's action it's horror there's suspense in it it's got everything it's just yeah. the best you know in the opening scene with the 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 handshake and it's just beyond iconic it, i don't think you can actually get a better film than predator i'm still waiting for this day for like a modern version of not a remake but a sort of sci-fi action horror just one that ticks all the boxes you know what i mean like a an equivalent, a modern day equivalent of Predator. Why has no one made it? How can you? Like, can how you can make you it? Hit gold yeah. twice. 
Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, a few months after that, The Running Man came out, oddly, uh, but we'll talk about that in a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've got two films that came out in 88 to finish off his 80s. Uh, mm-hmm. We begin with like a buddy cop thing called Red Heat. And I quite like that. It's all right. I've actually never seen Red Heat. I know it's got, is it Jim Belushi? Jim, That's John, one. Jim Belushi. Um, James Belushi. James Belushi. I've never seen this one. I've always wanted to watch it. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever seen it on any of the streaming sites. Or I, I always see it for quite cheap on Blu-ray and stuff, but I, I don't know anyone who rates it highly. I still want to check it out, though. So maybe maybe you can sell it to me. I can't sell it to you. No, it's been a long time. But the thing is, I remember like uh, it's, it's one where I sat on the bed with my mates and we mm-hmm. rented it. So it was a VHS rental mm-hmm. and we loved it. And we loved the like the change of direction for Arnie. Like mm-hmm. you could tell that he wanted out of like this typecasting that he'd got himself in. Although we've just run down some classics that will live with us for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe the wrong choice but like i do remember coming out of it just thinking oh that was really good but i still think oh it's really good i don't think it's like an all-time classic it's not one that mm-hmm. i'm going to reach for but yeah it, it's got nostalgic like pangs because it was mm-hmm. one of the last times i was hanging out with all my schoolmates watching you know a film so yeah. good times but then we get to twins mm-hmm. he's he's left action now twins yeah, come on full-on comedy I, I can't remember much about twins. I, I I don't honestly I don't work for ITV and I'm sorry to keep plugging ITV. But this is another <laughs> ITV banger. This is a Sunday afternoon ITV, Danny DeVito, Arnie. I honestly can't remember anything about it. I, I have seen it a bunch of times, but for some reason I can't whose fucking idea is this film? You know, it just seems so ludicrous. Well, at this point. Like any script that comes his way, he will veto. Like he he's so rich, he's so like the mm-hmm. biggest superstar in the world, like that he can do whatever the hell he wants. So this is mm-hmm. all Arnie. So, well, yeah, he's chosen twins. Do, are you a fan? Yeah, you are. <laughs> I, I like it. Again, like I, I would put Running Man on over Twins in a heartbeat. Um, I would I would even pop in Red Sonia, uh, more so. <laughs> Um, now I've I've said that's the end of the eighties, but I'm I'm lying because we're going to count Total Recall uh, as an eighties one, oh, even though it's yeah. ninety. Okay, so finally, <laughs> Total Recall. Total Recall is another slam dunk. You know, this is an actual when when you've read this list off in like chronological order, this is quite the roller coaster ride. Right, there's a lot of dips here, but there's a lot of good times. There's a lot of you know action thrills, but Total Recall is just. It's Arnie in an action film that's got sort of comedy satire. And I just, I love Paul Verhoeven. Love his films. I love Starship Troopers. I love, I absolutely love Showgirls. That's one of my all time favorites. It's hilarious. Ridiculous. I love, even, you know, I went to see Benedetta, his most recent one. I really enjoyed that. Um, I loved that. Yeah. It was good. It was a very good film. Very strange. Um, and I went to see it in the cinema at like 10 a.m. by myself, and there was no one else in the cinema. I was just sat by myself. I was watching this weird lesbian nun fantasy film. It was a very odd experience. That's such a least. stance. Love it. And and, I, <laughs> and um, I think it was was it L his the one um, a couple of years ago, which was really good as well. It was sort of like a rape revenge movie. 
that was a really good film as well. But yeah, Total Recall, again, it's just one of those movies that has everything. And I remember watching this as a kid and everyone, everything would be just so iconic when you were talking to it about your friends in school, like the, the lady with the three boobs, um, other things that happened. I'm sure there was other things that happened. I can't remember right now. That was the <laughs> most mainly important the three part boobs. of the movie. Yeah, that was the really important part. But yeah, like you say, that coming out of the 80s onto that is an absolutely, what a jump, you know, into the next decade. That's it. That's the reminiscing done. And that's the best bit of any podcast ever. So there we go. Uh, what year what year was T2? Was that 90 as well? No, there was not. I think it was followed. 91. Okay, so that's Terminator 2. Total recall. 1990. I was spot on. Bang, bang. Oh, holy shit. Amazing. Well done. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah, we're talking about Running Man. I want you to choose a couple of moments in this film uh, or a couple of things about it that you would say to people like this is why i've chosen this film just you know just the concept of the movie if you just explain you know that there's this sort of futuristic movie where you know the the people in the world live in a sort of police state it's like los angeles isn't it i think that's where it says it's a police state music's been banned art's been banned everyone's forced to watch these tv channels um and these game shows are just ridiculously popular. So the running man's like the biggest thing, you know, everyone's watching it. You put a criminal down at the Daily Mail readers. If you had a, a, the running <laughs> oh, man, yes. imagine if the running man was a program and the Daily Mail readers got to choose the criminal to put in it. I'd put, you know, fucking Tommy Robinson in it or uh, maybe Nigel Farage, since I mentioned him before. You'd love to watch it. You'd put a criminal that you absolutely despise, real scum of the earth, uh-huh. into this game where they have to outrun some of the fucking craziest WWE style, you know, assassins, you know, in these weird futuristic, it, everything about it is just great, you know. You write this down on a piece of paper or just explain the plot to someone, they're in. I don't think anyone would say, no, I don't quite fancy that one. This is just, you know, <laughs> this is the movie. And then when you tell them Arnie's in it and it's the most ridiculously 80s thing you've ever seen, this movie's set in the eight in the future and it looks more like the 80s than the 80s. Yeah. It's very strange. It's got like a really weird tone. You know, one of my favorite parts in it is, you know, when they're showing the commercials for the other game show and there's climbing for dollars. And it's a guy in a room just with, you know, these Rottweilers just going for his ankles and he's climbing a rope with like a big wedge of money in his mouth and he, there's just dangling money and he's trying to grab it. And that's very like Paul Verhoeven to me that, you know, like in Robocop yeah. with the, you know, with the adverts and the sort of, it, it's just a really good story and it's pretty relevant today even though it, I say it's aged really well. It obviously hasn't aged well, but the story has aged well and the concept has aged very well, I think. And I, I'm just looking at my list now where, where I've just put favourite moments and the first thing I've seen just says The Baby. Do you know what I'm talking about? The, the Baby. baby. No, no. They're, looking, they're looking for a contestant for The Running Man and they're going mm. through the database of criminals and there's a fucking baby, a baby mugshot. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you have to watch to go it on back. YouTube or something. It is fucking hilarious. And we we went we were laughing at it last night and we went back and paused it on the street. I can't remember. It had like the baby's name and it was something like 
something baby face McGee or something. I was like, what the fuck has this baby done? That he can be on the running man. And then, you know, my girlfriend was like, I'd love to see the running man with this baby on it. Just throw the baby down the shoe. I'd watch it. But fucking hell, like, just things like that are so funny. And then my, my second note just said, Jesse Ventura, brackets, Jesse Ventura's workout tape. I think, you know, just watching Jesse Ventura dance around and he was in Predator as well alongside Arnie and they're just a dream team. And one of my only problems with this film is there's no Jesse Ventura Arnie face off at the end. His character's yeah. just sort of dangled in there. And at the end when the, the, obviously the running men, the, you know, the, the, the warriors or whatever are just getting sort of cut out one by one. And then they try and bring him in at the end and it just doesn't happen. And it's like, ah, such a letdown. I would love to see them two go toe to toe at the end. It would, I would say extras on this. Surely we would have a like Captain Freedom's workout tape that they would just stick yes, in there. Yes, and you can do it at home. It's not just like it, it wasn't just made for the film. It's an actual half an hour full workout with Jesse Ventura. I'd do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it just adds to all the, the 80s cheese. You know, I, I was listening to a podcast today about the film as well, and he was saying um, the they had all the the running man dancers on the show, like all the women doing the dancing in between yeah. the sort of commercials or whatever. And uh, the podcast I listened to today, it said that was the LA Lakers like cheerleading squad. That's the full LA Lakers cheerleading squad. And it was, the dance was coordinated by Paula Abdul. I can believe it. Spot that is the most 80s time. thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if that is not 80s, you know, what is that is, as if this film couldn't get more 80s, there's a Paula Abdul dance number in it, or a couple <laughs> of Paula Abdul dance numbers in it. There is a, um, it's freaky when he gets pulled in there and they're all around him like he's some like gorgeous contestant. He's about to yeah. win this marvellous prize, and yet he's just about to be sent to his death, and he's just like, what's going on? What is this? Where I am it. I? Why? <laughs> and all the women are sort of like, sort of rubbing up on him and, yeah. and sort of dancing by him, and my partner was like, Holy shit, should you be doing that close to a suspected murderer, you know? But yeah, it's just part of the 80s charm, isn't it? And then I put another another thing I really like about it is just the music. There's just that piano riff that just so goes good. along. It's incredible. It just makes the film, it just gives it that little chef's kiss, you know, it's just sprinkle that on there. whack it throughout the film and then I was doing a bit more research last night the song that plays at the end of the movie I can't remember the singer's name but he's the guy that does like the cell St. Elmo's Fire theme song oh hang on it's gonna be it's, uh, Palmer no 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 oh my god that clip that song always reminds me of the Simpsons where um uh, Homer's driving his car and he's listening to some right-wing crackpot on the radio, talk radio. And Lisa's like, "Dad, can we change this? I'm sick of this guy." He's like, "Lisa, when you drive, when you drive the car, you can pick what you listen to." And then the next scene is just Lisa driving with Saint Elmo's fire just blasting full blast on the radio. <laughs> Classic scene. John Parr.
John Parr, that's it, yeah. yeah. And I watched the I watched the music video last night for Saint Elmo's Fire and for the Running Man song, and it's just perfect bit of eighties cheese to end on. My uh, my very top thing of my favourite things in this one, my rewatch was the the score by Harold Faltermeyer. I just think it's something else. It's incredible, and I never noticed it as a kid because why would you? You've got mm-hmm. Arnie running about, but like I've just gone to see uh, like Fritzy do Fulci, that thing in London. Oh, incredible. And it, it was incredible, but like, I would guilt to see this. Imagine this, Voltimeyer doing mm-hmm. Running Man. Like, wow. It's, it's so it's iconic. Just the piano riff that plays, it's so sort of like haunting. It's really just a great, and they just, I, I don't know, I, I don't, I can't remember the last film I watched where there is just a riff that's sort of, sprinkled throughout the film you know one piece of score that just gets constantly used and used and used throughout a film and it just works so well it's just like as soon as it came on we both started humming it last night when we were watching it and it's just so it's like a proper earworm just gets like stuck in your head it's just oh it's fantastic what's your favorite uh one-liner oh it's it's my favorite and my worst and it is here is sub-zero now plain zero <laughs> It doesn't make sense, nope. but I love it. <laughs> it's so bad. Good. It's just when, when he says it, it's just fucking... Uh, we, we both just sort of looked at each other and we're like, oh my God, that is so bad. But it's so bad, it's absolutely brilliant. So he has final say on everything. Like, this is mad that this this like, this like went through a writing room and then went to him, and at no point did anyone go, well, what's that even mean? <laughs> like, it's it's literally we we said the exact same thing last night. We're like, how did that get in there? But it again, it just sort of adds to the charm. It's so shit that it's great. It's like I think if the if we watch this on the big screen, like people would just cheer. I've seen Total Recall on the big screen, but I haven't seen this. But if I, I ever get the chance, I'll definitely go. I'd love to see a packed cinema and then that line delivery, and then just hearing sighs, cuts, laughs, just every, every range of emotion would just be coming out of people's mouths at that moment. But um, it, just there's a couple of others as well, you know, that I'll be back, classic. I told you I'd be back when he comes back later. And it's just, yeah, it's just great. And again, no one can deliver it like Arnie. Like you yeah, can't, yeah. I can't see anyone else in this film. It's just, I cannot see, 
fucking Superman in this film. Like you mentioned earlier, Christopher Reeve. Yeah, what's going on there? Like, common in my house is if anyone ever says, I'll be right back or I'll be back or anything like that, mm. I always go only in a rerun. Uh, always, <laughs> always. Can't help myself. And it's, it's so pathetic. I can't <laughs> rub it out of my life. So annoying. Damn you. Anything in the film that doesn't work for you. And of course, it's difficult because all of it doesn't work. And that's the reason why it works mm-hmm. so well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. anything. There's one thing that I get this feeling every time I watch it as well. And it comes right in the, the final moments of the film. And it's just the kiss. Why is there a love story just written into this? It just seems so unnecessary. And I have this thing with films where if I watch a film and there's a male, a male lead and a female lead, and if the film continues and for some reason there's no sexual tension, there's nothing, they just have a nice time during the film and they're still friends, I'll automatically love the film. Just because a man and a woman is in a film, they have to have some sort of romantic you know entanglement or whatever but i don't think there's anything there between the two like i don't i don't get any sort of sexual chemistry or um i don't know i just don't get even at the first bit you know when he goes to his brother's apartment and she's there and for some reason she's doing a workout in like a nighty a silk (laughs) nighty and um i don't know i just don't get any sort of like sexual vibes or romantic vibes or anything and then right at the end of the film when there's the kiss i don't know it just makes me sort of go i feel like a child again i'm like yeah (laughs) well it's it's set up that they they start off with disliking each other and then they become mates it's Mm -hmm. so tagged on there's not one bit that earns like no not not even one coy look where he's no nothing nothing no nothing no no sort of flirting or anything and it (laughs) It's just sort of ridiculous, really. But I think I think that's it. That's my only gripe, really. And the woman who is in the film, I don't think she's very good. But it just sort of, again, adds to the charm. I couldn't... I, why couldn't you put, like, I don't know, like, another 80s lady in it? Like, I don't know, maybe, like, Phoebe Cates or someone like that? Or I don't know. I don't know. She's just not very yeah. good. I think she was just... Not to sound too horrible, but I, I think it's quite apparent she was just cast to her look. It's like Arnie just had a bunch of actresses and Arnie was like, uh, just pointed out. Like, I <laughs> like her the best. She's not great. And I think I think Arnie always just looks out of place in his movies, but <laughs> he fits in. It's like Jingle All The Way when he's in his office and he's like, you're my favourite customer. It's like, why is my mattress guy <laughs> have this weird European accent? <laughs> it's very odd. No one ever questions it or anything, but um, yeah, it's just... Arnie's so great. No one ever questions it. No, too right. When I was a kid watching this, I used to hate the bit like at the beginning of the prison break where he lifts up a dummy and he says like, um, can I give you a lift or something like that? Uh, but Ooh. it's a dummy and it's clearly a dummy. But when mm-hmm. I rewatched it and I saw it and I remembered, oh God, I used to hate that. I loved it. I was like, oh yeah, it's a dummy. <laughs> so I, I can't pull it apart. Apart from, I didn't even think about what you said, but yeah, totally right. It's not earned. Maybe that's no. the, the worst. Like, not everyone can be like a Sharon Stone in Total Recall, can they? So, you know, it, you can't. It's with it because that's that the thing my mind went to yesterday when I was watching it. I thought about Sharon Stone and I was like, she's really great in, in Total Recall. Like, she just has like the look and she just sort of fits in. 
And I don't know, this woman just feels quite forced. It's just a very odd casting choice. I looked up her uh, letterbox just to see like what other film she was in. And she was in okay. quite like, she was successful. She was in loads of stuff. Like I, I'm just speaking about her like she's some no talent bomb or something, but she's obviously very talented and she's in a lot of good films. So, you know, who am I? Who am I? Like, how can you really talk about such an iconic film that if you are going to see it, you would have already seen it and you would have already seen it a ton of times as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not something that you just like, oh yeah, I've ticked that one off and then go to the next. So but this is it. Like we've, we've had like the rundown of like Arnie films, but there's just, there's no one like Arnie. There's never going to be anyone else like Arnie. He's just one of a kind. He just has the X factor, you know, he has it. And I was trying to think like who is the modern day equivalent to Arnie and is it is it like The Rock or someone like that who is just fucking miles off like he mm. can't fucking tie Arnie's boots do you know what I mean he's it, Arnie is just the man he is the man and I think we always talk about like obviously like celebrities dying and stuff I think the day Arnold Schwarzenegger dies they'll probably be like a fucking year of mourning that's going to be one that hurts, you know, he's mm-hmm. just such a legend. And to be fair, he hasn't done anything good for like 30 years or so, <laughs> but you know, he is just such a legend and um, just, yeah, just can't thank him enough. Thanks for all your work, Arnie. You are the man. Yeah. Except for Maggie. I was so upset. Arnie in a zombie film. This is going to be magic. Oh no. We watched, what was the one we watched recently on Disney plus end of days, Arnie versus Satan. Let's go. Fucking hell, that was a wet noodle. And no. it came out of that weird time in the 90s when there was loads of films like that, like Stigmata. And um, yeah. I don't know, there was just loads of films had that vibe around that time. It was a very strange time for satanic horror movies. Um, yeah, Ninth Gate is another one to put the in Ninth Gate, pile. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm. All right, um, let's leave Arnie there. I'm sure we will return to Arnie one day. What's next for going off? We have a new EP that will have come out on this in December, 1st of December, that's been and gone. So that's on Church Road Records. And it's just, um, we did our LP earlier this year, What Makes You Tick, that came out in March. Um, it's been doing pretty well with Church. Like we sold out of all the vinyls. We got a second press pretty quickly. I think it was within like eight months or something. So we were all absolutely buzzing about that. So we've got second press out now, available at churchroadrecords.com. We're a bit of a weird band because we think we appeal a lot to the punk people. We appeal a lot to the metal people because you have like breakdowns, just sort of metallic hardcore breakdowns and stuff. This one's more sort of we've ditched the punk and just gone full breakdown. So it's sort of for fans of sort of modern hardcore bands like Not Loose, Jesus Peace, that sort of thing. So it's all sort of down tune, very heavy. And it's Thanks to Alexander Hefner for doing the good thing, the honourable thing, the the right thing. Speaking with me about a film that he loves, that's right. But these non-horror efforts from Stephen King's pen are not over yet. Oh no. At number five, I've placed Brian Singer's take on Apt Pupil. 
and this one came out in 1998 and it is very schlocky and it is good fun but it should really be far more serious in tone I guess but I have to admit that I love it even more for being the trash that it is we've got old fart Nazis we've got a sociopath teenager ignorant parents we've got Ross from Friends it's a ripper and at four more lifetime style melodrama in Dolores Claiborne from 1995. At theaters now. Okay, so that was the trailer for Dolores Claiborne, and it is bleak. And yet again, this one makes me well up. And for anybody out there, and I imagine that is a shed load of us, for anyone that suffered through the trauma of mental and physical abuse from a loved one or have been witness to it, well, this film nails it. A must watch. It's an essential watch, I would say, and a story that I'd wish had never had to be written. It's harsh, but I love it. It's Dolores Claiborne. And at number three, I've placed The Green Mile from 1999. And sheesh my kebab, what a masterpiece it is. Join this one on death row with John Coffey as we head into a story full of guilt and innocent and retribution and grief and a touch of supernatural magicness. It's a heavy and it's a long watch, but I rarely see this one getting brought up in the conversation about King adaptations these days, and it really should be. And maybe the reason it isn't brought up so much is because my number one and my number two picks are so stapled as indelible marks onto pop culture today that really... You just need to mention these. You know what we mean. At number two, it is Stand By Me from 1986. Now in select cities. Sneak preview August 16th in additional cities. So Rob Reiner, right, he's pretty good at this lark, isn't he? Uh, He's directed four of my favourite films of all time. In this one, Stand By Me, in Misery, in Spinal Tap, and the stunning, the best rom-com that ever has been, When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, you heard me. It's incredible. In Stand By Me, Kiefer Sutherland, he plays this uber-bully called Ace Merrill. And he is going to fuck up Corey Feldman and Wesley Crusher if they're not careful. River Phoenix, of course, wins the day. And the voiceover from Richard Dreyfus it nails this on as a stone-cold classic of 50s dead-body-finding nostalgic wonder. And we head to the very peak of perfection. <laughs> Number one, of course, it's the Shawshank Redemption. And that means today on Sci-Fi Corner... We have a guest that actually opted for my favourite film. And I love it when a plan comes together like that. It hasn't happened for so long. In fact, 
Paul Chanter, this guy that I'm about to speak with, my good pal Paul Chanter, he was the one that last did it. And the last show that he was on was the 2009 big hitter back in August last year. We spoke about the Duncan Jones depressing banger, Moon. Before we get into it, here's the letterbox synopsis. Framed in the 1940s for the double murder of his wife and lover, upstanding banker Andy Dufresne begins a new life at Shawshank Prison, where he puts his accounting skills to work for an immoral warden. During his long stretch in prison, comes to be admired by the other inmates, including an older prisoner named Red, for his integrity and his unquenchable sense of hope. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard all the evidence. This was revenge. He fired the gun empty and then stopped to reload. You strike me as a remorseless man, Mr. Dufresne. I hereby order you to serve two life sentences back to back. They send you here for life. That's exactly what they take. I'm Mr. Norton, the warden. I believe in two things, discipline and the Bible. Here you'll receive both. Why'd you do it? I didn't, since you asked. <laughs> you gonna fit right in. Everybody in here is innocent. Hey, what are you in here for? Didn't do it. He had a quiet way about him. A walk and a talk that just wasn't normal around here. On the outside, I was an honest man, straight as an arrow. I had to come to prison to be a crook. Ah! I think it would be fair to say I liked Andy from the start. Think you'll ever get out of here? I don't think so. Open this door! I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living, you get busy dying. There's something inside that they can't get to that's yours. What are you talking about? Hope. Hope. Chanter, hello, how you doing, mate? <gasps> ah, hello. I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. You thrust I, yourself upon me then. <laughs> sorry, I, I tend to do that with my uh, male mates. I uh, thrust away until they respond. Um, yeah, <laughs> good to see you. It's been a while. It I don't has, know how yeah. long, but I've missed your face. As soon as I saw it then, I was like, ah, it's Paul. I don't miss my face at all. I try not to look at it, so, you know, if possible. A lovely face. <laughs> this is a Stephen King special. Welcome. Everyone's got a history with Stephen King. Everyone's got like a, a starting point. But what I've noticed is everybody's is it. Is it your starting point with him? Not in the slightest. Brilliant. Do no. tell. Really? That's everybody's every single person. Wow. What the the TV the Tim Curry one? Tim Curry one. Yeah. Or the no. book, one of the two. No, not in the slightest. Not the book or the. I didn't see that till years later, and I thought it was shit. <laughs> Where's it um, begin for you then? Well, when I was in, I think I've mentioned this before. That when I was in school, like when I was thirteen, fourteen, something like that, a lot of my friends were reading Stephen King stuff. I was reading. I think you had a go at me for saying that I making up that I was one of the cool kids because I was reading James Herbert instead of Stephen King. Yes. But, you know, they would talk about what they were reading, so I knew about Misery. Misery, I think, was the new one at the time. And then we're talking about stuff like The Talisman and 
uh, is it Richard Bachman? That's yeah. the, uh, the pseudonym. And a mate was reading Thin Air, and somebody else was reading The Stand, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, and I was reading The Rats and Lair and Domain, whatever. Um, the cool kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I did read Different Seasons, which is where uh, Rita Hayworth ah. and Shawshank Redemption comes from. And I read that. I read that purely because of the other main reason that I got into Stephen King. I mean, I knew his name as a kid, and, and I knew that um, he was connected to horror because I would see the posters and video cases for things like The Shining, Harry, Christine, and stuff. But my eventual inroad into Stephen King was Anthrax. Oh, of course. So it was Among the Living, which is about the stand, what was it, Randall Flagg. Uh, Skeletons in the Closet, which is Apt Pupil, which is in the Different Seasons book, which is that Shawshank Redemption's in. Amazing. Uh, and Misery Loves Company, which is obviously based on Misery. It's my favourite Anthrax <laughs> song, that. Really? Yeah, it's my very favourite. <laughs> And film-wise, you know, I've always loved The Shining and Carrie, Green Mile, Shawshank, Misery, Pet Cemetery, the original Pet Cemetery. I love, that. I love that for some reason. And I even kind of dig Cujo as well. So yeah. that that was my main in to Stephen King was uh, to mates reading it and tell, telling me stuff. So I know stuff. I haven't read Misery, but I know the differences between Misery, the book, and the film because. They told me about it when they were reading it. Right. So in the hobbling scene, I know that she cuts his foot off, I think, in the book. And... Yeah, it's slightly yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Much worse on film, I feel. You think that's worse than it being cut off? Oh, just the, yeah. I think that's smacks... one of the... Oh, it's the angle, cut. isn't it? <laughs> you just it's see perfect. about three frames of it twatted <laughs> sideways, and it's like, that's fucking horrible. But I saw that in the cinema and, and I was with somebody who she screamed when she saw based on the book by Stephen King because she didn't know it was anything to do with Stephen King. And she was like, oh, my God, I've come to see a horror film. There was a load of us and I, we all just pissed ourselves laughing. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> it's called Misery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not going to be a laugh a minute. Uh, okay. Um, I've found something out this week. I'm just going to put that to you uh, right now. Cujo 2 is coming uh, out what the hell what what don't tell me please don't tell me it's a legacy sequel that is somehow connected to the no, original it's just the title and i think there's a director attached i can't remember who it is now but yeah there we go it that's coming out that is a, a done deal how can it be cujo too because that dog would be long dead by now <laughs> I don't know. Ugh, unless it's a fucking remake well, yeah, but then why call it Cujo 2? That's the thing. Why not just call it Cujo? Well, it might, it might just be called Cujo. I, I don't I know. Guess. A lot of these things, you, you, they'll change. Rumor mills kind of fly around and you, you hear the things about, oh, it's called this, but changes. And it might not even happen, you know. I, I, I would just, when I heard that, I was just like, right, there's what? How? How would you, what? I mean, there are some films that don't need a sequel. I mean, there are. A majority of films don't need a sequel because you write a story as a self-contained thing. Yeah, that's one that I wouldn't have thought there was a Cujo 2, like fucking 40 years later or something. What? Yeah. Somehow it's returned. <laughs> oh, fuck off. <laughs> with a, with a uh, you know, uh, 
hockey mask on. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. Like it, the, this will come out in on February the first. So by then uh, there'll be some more info, and I wonder how we'll sound now. Just like, oh yeah, of course it'll be like that. Hmm. And it's amazing. I bet it's amazing. <laughs> it's going to be the best bit. Oscar yeah. bait. Oscar exactly. bait. Exactly. Scorsese is shitting himself right now. <laughs> so, where does Shawshank fit into this? Now, my question here: Were you aware of it whilst it was at the cinemas? Probably, because I was. I was. That's when I around that time was it ninety four. I was. I had really, really got into film and stuff then. So I probably knew. It was out. If you asked me at the time what was out, I probably would have known and would have right. told you. But I didn't go to see it, like a lot of people didn't. Yep. Um, and I mean, like, my history with it is really weird because, like I said, I read the Different Seasons um, collection as a kid, but I think Shawshank was one of the stories in that book that me and my mates didn't talk about because it wasn't horror yeah but it came but Shawshank came kind of back on my radar in about in 95 ish I think I was on my ass money wise and I took a job in Blockbuster Blockbuster Video and you know unlike other members of staff who worked there who for some reason thought that their role at Blockbuster meant that they were connected to the film industry in some way (laughs) I just kind of kept my head down and pirated every video I could possibly find while I was there and collected my wages and fucked off. But when I was working, you know, and I'm going to collect the returns or whatever and bring them back and click them in, I kept seeing this fucking film over and over again, like loads of them, like the majority of things I'd get out of the the, the returns bin thing. It's like fucking endless copies of this film, Shawshank Redemption. And it was constantly out and we had so many copies of it. And I just eventually <laughs> thought, I ought to see what the fuck is going on here because this thing is out all the time. So everybody's watching this for some reason. So took a copy home one night after a late shift, took a copy home and watched it the next day. And it did the same thing to me as it was doing to everybody else everywhere, <laughs> everywhere who hired it because, you know, it kind of flopped at the cinema because nobody went to see it at the cinema and it found its legs on video. And uh, it was just the word of mouth thing that, and I guess it was the same kind of thing. I mean, nobody said it to me that it was a great film, but I just saw that it was clearly very popular and I wanted to know why. That's exactly how I came across it. It was just always out and like, I wanted to know why. And I got it. It was, uh, I would love to lie and say, oh man, I was there from day one. I was there opening night. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, not at all. It didn't even, I didn't even know it was released. Like I had no idea uh, until it was like a, you know how sometimes you get, I I would say it's not even a sleeper hit, but it was, it felt like that. So you'd start off with a couple of copies and you'd notice it but I would still go and rent out the gate two or something instead that I'd seen yeah. five times. Yeah. But then yeah. gradually like, Oh, like you've said, like there's loads of copies on that top row. Like yeah. what's going on? Like, cause this has been out for a while now. And yeah. yeah, that that's how I remember it, which is pretty much the way most people, I guess would, if you're being honest, because that's like you say, how it found its legs. And then I think it was, adopted by telly a lot because i remember also taping this one off the tv on my old um digi thing 
where you can just press one button and you say, oh, mate, that tech yeah, yeah. is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, so there we go. I remember watching it just all the flipping time, thanks to my little Digibox thing. So, yeah, yeah um, yeah, I wish I was there at the beginning, though. Like, imagine that if you were like one of the and you knew. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I'm kind of sad because there's one thing that I absolutely love is showing somebody who hasn't, I, some, showing somebody an amazing yeah. film that they've never seen. And so many people hadn't seen the Shawshank Redemption. So, you know, and I had a copy of it eventually. So it was like, oh, watch this. You know, this film's really good. And they're like, what is it? It's a bit of a, you know, the weird title puts them off or whatever. And there's nobody, no kind of like, you know, it's not got fucking Tom Cruise or Arnie in it or whatever. It's like, right. And then you just press play and sit back and watch somebody else get converted, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's a really hard film not to gel with and not to bond with. And I, I purely, as, as well as it's like a great story, it's shot well, all this, all that sort of movie gump. I think yeah. the casting is the reason as to why I, I love it so hard. Like, right. I, full cards on the table now. This is a rare 10 out of 10 for me. I rarely right. give 10 out of 10, but I can't yeah. fault it. But I think it's down to Robbins and Freeman. I think that's why when I've tried to like rewatch it and like, why do I love this thing so much? Yeah. I love all sorts of stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's rare that everything is right, including the casting. And here, like from the, the, the cops to the inmates, everyone just seems like, who else would you put in that place? I can't imagine. Let, let's go through it. So Tim Robbins, what's he mean to you? Thing <laughs> with Tim, Tim Robbins is like, he's, he's, kind of like one of those actors who's not ever really on my radar. Right. Um, and, you know, I'd like the thing with this film is that he's a, he, he's a physically imposing guy. I mean, he's like six, five, something like that. He's a massive bloke, but he has this kind of baby face, innocent look to him yeah. that fits and serves this particular role so well and it's a look that he uses i mean it's he uses it to perfection at that point where you think he's so it's just emotionally beaten um and he's finally had enough and you think he's contemplating suicide whatever it, it just his level sort of almost nondescript unreadable face throughout the film helps with i mean i assume spoilers oh yeah of course <laughs> it, his he, he his face does not give away anything about what is going on and it shouldn't and and you know but he has this kind of nondescript face that's perfect to play a character that is not giving anything away you know and he's just He's calm. His voice is so measured and mannered. It's like he's he's a guy who, for lots of different reasons, should not be in there. He just doesn't fit. No. I mean, never mind the whole thing of him not actually doing what got him put away. But he's he's a guy who should not be in prison. It's just like he just he's not made for it in any way, you know. But that's the brilliant thing about his character is that he's not made for it. He shouldn't be there but he fucking immediately gets his head around it and starts learning how to cope. And like, this is, this is how things are. So, 
uh, adapt and survive, I guess, you know. I find there's that scene and there's another one with the sisters Yeah. when he, you don't see it like that. You see the beginning, you see it beginning and you see the end like with the sisters. And yeah. it's one of those things where you see how it's crunched and broken him down. And mm. instead of just giving up and he sort of does at the end where, as you say, we can't read what he's thinking here. Yeah. Like why, why is he, that down when he's talking he's going to kill himself that's instantly what you're thinking yeah at this point with the sisters he's still got a bit of that literal spunk like he he's got something about him i'm going to defend myself i'm going to fight you don't care how many there are yeah. come and get it yeah sort of thing so he's still got that fight in him and completely different emotions but underneath that fight you can see how broken this guy is every day yeah. that he's been in there so far I can't see a Tom Cruise getting away with this sort of performance. I can't see like a leading man that you would expect in a Hollywood film, like a pizzazz film that people would have actually gone to see. Yeah. I can't see that. We need someone that we don't recognise and hasn't got all that history to, to actually discover how this guy works. It's so fascinating to watch him on the screen. I Yeah. Is it a 10 out of 10, as I've said already, like performance from beginning to end? Like when he's walking in, when he is walking into Shawshank, again, mm. you can't read him. And yet mm. I can read how scared he is. And it's, yeah. oh, it's so good. It gives me tingles. Just think, how is this guy so good at what he does? His, his acting job. And he's so good at it. I love it. I mean, the thing, like you said about, you know, a Tom Cruise kind of character wouldn't fit playing that role it's because like if it was somebody like tom cruise you would be like well he's going to be all right at the end he clearly didn't do this it's tom cruise he's uh, it's going to be a twist somewhere where it's going yeah. to show that he didn't do it whereas somebody's a nondescript kind of face that disappears into the crowd kind of character actor like tim robbins you know it's like yeah you've got no idea where he can go with it. there is another 10 out of 10 film for me jacob's ladder and he's incredible about that and i think with those two performances like lifetime achievement award sold well done you're you're a king well done yeah. but then i watched recently spielberg's war of the worlds and he's in that and he plays like this damaged yeah damaged sort of guy in in the sort of shed type building at the middle of the film sort of thing and i don't like it i don't like it even though he's like that's fine that's a really good performance well done but I mm. don't like him playing in that sort of role. I don't know if it's because I'm so used to him being that everyman and uh, the sort of traumatised guy that can get through things. Right. You know, or is meticulous in his planning. Is or... it that you want to be you, you want to be on his side and you don't like the fact that... I don't like it. I, yeah. I really don't. And yet, as I say, it's completely serviceable. Like I imagine like Spielberg and himself, uh, Robbins would have been like delighted with that performance. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, he, he's he's great in it, but like if you if the role doesn't sort of sit with you or whatever. One thing I always notice in that film is that that is one film that shows how physically imposing Tim Robbins is when yes. when he grabs Tom, he has his gun and Tom Cruise grabs the gun and they silently try to have a have a face-off kind of thing because he doesn't want to upset his daughter and alien knocking around or whatever. You see how fucking massive Tim Robbins is in that scene. <laughs> but, yeah. Morgan Freeman. 
There's two performances again, uh, just like Tim Robbins with Jacob's Ladder. I think it's this one. And I don't know if you're going to agree, but I think the other masterclass is seven. I, I quite like him in as Ned in The Unforgiven. But then... Like, awesome film. What I really see with Morgan Freeman is a lot of those sort of... He's like, I've written it down. He's like the professor in Lucy. He's the general in Outbreak. He's the president in Deep Impact. That's the sort of role that he tends to get. But he doesn't get to shine. And he really does with Seven and this. Yeah, yeah. Give, give me a bit of Morgan Freeman. How do you feel like this guy is? Well, I mean, <laughs> what, as an actor, Morgan Freeman? I mean, yeah. his, Come his, on. his body of work kind of says everything that you need to know about it him as an actor i mean and and his uh the way he's sort of revered by everybody in his industry you know i mean the the amazing thing with this particular role is that the character is meant to be a middle-aged white irishman didn't know that's why he's called red because he's got red hair in the book okay um, but for somebody, whoever it was, the casting director or Frank Darabont, whoever, when they just suggested Morgan Freeman, it's like, well, how are you going to say no to that? And there's a reason Morgan Freeman is so sought after for like narration and stuff like that. His voice just carries you through this film and you and you want to go with him. You know, it's like that voice it takes you with it you've got he, he's kind of describing stuff and you're just following everything one of my favorite bits in that film is after the fresh fish thing and he says you know that night and he cost me a 20 a pack of 20 cigarettes or something he never made a sound the way he says that it's just like it's perfect and it's just i, I mean the fact that he didn't win anything for this like academy award kind of thing yeah he's just fucking ridiculous yeah um i think he might have won a bafta i'm not sure you know this is a this is a kind of film where if people are like right we can go back and give oscars to films that we really fucking should have it's like shawshank was just fucking yeah. <laughs> just uh, yeah yeah exactly you know it's like yeah we got we got that a bit wrong we fucked that one up yeah yeah too right like i think that though the roles that like he can do in his sleep those outbreaks or whatever like he i i just feel like with an actor of that quality I as I say I was trying to pick out why I liked it so much why I instantly think of it and I rate it a 10 mm. and it's them two together and I think yeah. if you take one out it won't work as well so mm. it's a nine out of ten or an eight like but having them together and having their friendship be so believable even right up to to that end bit where you where you mentioned where he's just sitting on the step and we can't read Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman doesn't want to push that friendship to the point where he's gonna say don't kill yourself or whatever you know don't yeah you know. yeah yeah it's kind I of unspoken just, it's such a real moment you know it's such a real moment what can you do except be there for your friend and when he calls him his friend mm. oh god it it breaks your heart and this film is ridiculously sentimental without trying too hard to be you know it just it, just yeah. one word will kill you yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's sat there and he's he's at that low point, and 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 as an audience, you're you're with the character of Andy Frayne then because it's like 
the one guy who could have given the information that would have got him out has been shot. So he's like, that's it. And I know it was this fucking place that shot yeah. him. And Morgan Freeman's kind of sat there like, I know as well. There's fuck all we can do about yeah. it. So they're both kind of contemplating what what am what am I doing here? What and how and what am I gonna do now? And one of them's like, well, he's like, I'm fuck it, I'm gonna go tonight. And he's thinking, and Morgan Freeman is thinking, he's gonna go tonight. He's gonna be swinging from yeah, there. you know. It's it, that scene is just. Uh, I mean, it, it's one of many great moments in 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 the film. But you know, just talking of casting, Fancy Brown is a fucking monster in that film. I mean. Thankfully, we did the Highlander thing together. So, <laughs> um, having Kurgan pop up in that film was like, "Whoa, fuck!" And then he is just a fucking animal. But at the same time, you do see him kind of ease up when it's evident that like Andy can work a bit of magic with his um, money or whatever. Oh yeah, give him the beers. Like yeah, yeah. And I think I have to read the book. I have to read the book. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. And Darab and Frank Darabont also has his kind of regulars in there, like Jeffrey Demun who's, um, what's he, Dale from Walking Dead. And uh, he's the, there's something in the mist guy. And William Sadler, who's in the mist as well. He's he's one of the main ones in there. But they use, it, Frank Darabont has a regular bunch of actors that he uses in nearly every project he does. So, I mean, the casting is, like you said, it's very difficult to imagine anybody else playing any of the roles in that film. Yeah, it really is. There is hardly like a, a chink in this film's armor like even like what's what is it how many years almost 30 years where well when this comes out it'll be 30 years old that's mm. just mad that you can look back and say yeah there's nothing i would remove and you know i i watched it last night i watched shawshank redemption last night it's it's i mean obviously it's a period piece so that kind of does it does it favors in kind of its timelessness kind of thing but the way it's shot the way it's edited the way it's scored it's it could have come out yesterday and it would still be it's 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 fucking great and it's like it's not gonna yeah you know yeah well, roger deakins with those sweeping that's shots yeah <laughs> in the in the, the prison yard that's it's the like... one that's the shot for me that that helicopter shot as Andy Dufresne's bus is arriving at Shawshank, that helicopter shot where it goes towards Shawshank and goes up over the wall and then you see all the prisoners inside and the music in that bit as well. Who does this? Is it Thomas Newman, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I should yeah. have written that down. Yeah, his, his scores sorry. are very, very familiar. It's like they're very, it's kind of like he, almost like Daniel, early Daniel. And he has a very specific style because, like, I remember watching Finding Nemo and thinking, this is Thomas Newman, isn't it? <laughs> and Rotabedition, you know, same kind of thing. He has a very specific thing that he does. But um, yeah, that shot of the um, of the prison. 
which was a real, that was a real place that was shut down due to, I remember seeing an interview with Clancy Brown and he said it was shut down due to cruel and inhuman punishment. The place was closed and they said it was fucking horrible to film there for like four or five months because you could almost feel this awful fucking yeah. atmosphere there. But the thing is, there's kind of short films within the main structure of the film itself. If you if you watch it, there's like the fresh fish story. There's the sisters story. There's the the acquiring of the rock hammer story. The tarring of the roof story. Brooks and his whole leaving oh, yeah. story. Brooks. And even even Red's parole hearings. You know that there's three of them. Like it's it's beginning, middle, end, the story structure. They're almost self-contained little episodes that sort of seamlessly kind of dovetail into the main story, but they uh, they give vital information about like how the place is run and they, it builds character, adds to the characters, shows, you know, value of the prisoners' lives, or like, you know, you can beat the shit out of them or shoot them or whatever, and how the prisoners have their own sort of unique society that they've created there within the walls of the prison um, but there's so many you know there's so many things that i that i say from that film like i have been known if i need a shit to say i need to pinch a loaf and it just comes straight from Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> you know and what say there fuzzy bridges you know before he's he shouting at a poster you know but like, like i said about um red's supposed to be an irish guy that's why um when Andy Dufresne says to him, why do they call you red? And he says, maybe it's because I'm Irish. And it's because he's meant to be. I can't believe it. He's meant I to can't be. Believe it. <laughs> and like watching, when you've watched Shawshank a few times, it right, I ask you this. I'm going to ask you a question now. Sweet. When he comes up to Morgan Freeman, when Andy Dufresne walks up to Red and says, I hear you're a guy who can acquire things from time to time. And he asks him for a rock hammer because he's gonna he's gonna polish rocks with. Do you think that that is the point where he knows what he is gonna do, or do you think it's the point when he's in his cell and he goes to scratch his name and a lump comes out the wall? Do you think that's when he thinks, "Hang on, I could get through this fucking wall with this," or do you think he got the hammer because I'm gonna try and get out of here? I think the film wants us to think it's because it's in that like um, tell all ending piece where the the bit of the wall comes off i think yeah, it yeah, wants yeah. us to think that but right yeah when i rewatched it there is that when you'll see it you'll you'll know what i mean but i think he's so clever like he's so like with the chess um references he's so many steps ahead of the game all yeah. the time he's in for the long long game yeah and i think even by then he would know so i hope that it was like a long plan, like a long con. He's going to do this over time. Yeah. But he hadn't put all the pieces together uh, and he had a perfect excuse. Yeah, I am going to, and I do love to like chisel away at little bits of rock. Uh, yeah. I think that initial scene where they bond over that rock hammer, I think that's the scene of the film. I just think it's perfect. I really yeah. do. Yeah, it's great. It's great. But I did, I did wonder watching it last night, it's like, the film does not want us to think that because it's no, no. At, at the ending with the exposition and like how this all came together, which I love and I usually hate in a film. 
yeah. but I love this. I can't yeah. wait till it all happens because I know, oh, and the next scene when they wake up in the morning and it's go, going to go through all this. I love it. I love it. Bring it. Mm. But yeah, I feel like it's a perfect sort of Christmas treat as well, watching yeah. this at Christmas. <laughs> like, oh, I love this bit. Wait until this bit. Um, it is. It's it's a weird film to say to somebody, look, it's a really good film. It's a really feel-good film. It'll make you feel great. It'll make you think, give you hope. That's one of the main things of the film. And then you somebody starts watching it, and yeah, oh, yeah, I, but by the way, this guy does get fucked by these other guys a lot. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, and that's, that guy you really like, the old guy, the librarian, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah whoops. But, yeah, so to, like, we're talking about moments, there's, there's – to try and to try and pick moments that's like the film itself is a series of great moments yeah over and over all hung on this brilliantly constructed emotionally uplifting screenplay that actually has something to say yeah. you know it's, which is a yeah. fucking rarity these days but like you said it's nearly fucking 30 years old now so my favorite line of the film is the shit he pulled I think that's just it's the perfect line. Yeah. I love it. Like just reminiscing about your friend. Mm. There's like I said, there's so many great lines in it. But yeah. I, I think I think it's either Frank Darabont or Stephen King have one of them has a love of the phrase fuck stick. And I like the fact that they use it in this and in Green Mile. Right. One of them. One of them loves it. We've got um Something slightly off-piste. I didn't mention it to you. Is this one of the greatest movies of all time? Now, a few weeks ago, Time Out released their best movies of all time list. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if you saw it, but I'll give you the top five. So, number five, we've got Raiders of a Lost Ark. Good. I, I was shocked at that, but yeah, fair, fair. Number four is something Godfather. I've not seen called Gian Dillman. don't know what it is. Of all time. Of all time ever. Right. Number three, Citizen Kane. Yeah. Yeah. Number two, The Godfather. Yeah. Number one. What do you think number one is? <laughs> I want to be, really, be an absolute wanker and say something like, Avatar. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but... um. Uh, I don't know. Is it the Shawshank Redemption by any chance? It's two thousand and one. Really, yeah. I would I would argue that top five into the fucking ground. Shawshank didn't get a look in the top one hundred. You're fucking joking. No, wasn't mentioned. Mad. I, I, I actually stunned to silence. <laughs> um. Yeah. That's mental. And yet That's... I remember an Empire or Total Film list that came out um, maybe 15 years ago or so. I think it was in the top five, maybe number one. Yeah. I can't quite remember now, but yeah. it, it was right up there. Yeah, for, a I was... while, for a while, you could, you, could, you could guess the top five in those kinds of lists. It was going to be Where's the Lost Ark, Godfather, fucking Shawshank. Citizen Kane, you know, you could almost guess, and they were interchangeable. They just moved them, moved the top five around, sure. depending who it was. But that, uh, Here two thousand and one. <laughs> I mean, oh, some pretentious wank trip wrote that top ten. <laughs> Sorry. It's weird 
isn't it? Like that that's from their whole staff and no one's put, put it high enough to like register in the top 100 is madness. That is, yeah, yeah. I haven't even heard of number four. I do, like, I know it's not horror, but I do a, a film podcast. I watch three films a day, yeah. usually, right? Yeah. And I've not heard of Jeanne Dillman. So that's mad. That says about, more about me, probably. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know of it, but I, I'm erring on the side of caution and putting it down to your pronunciation. <laughs> Thank you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jean Dillman. Deal... No, yeah, fine. <laughs> Just give up. Just give up. Um, right, so this is the final question. Man. It's so ridiculously stupid. What doesn't work? Could you pick anything in this film? This reminded me of uh, when you put this in the little list of things. <laughs> we're, we're in the same territory as, uh, as per our exorcist chat, where it's like, right, try and find something wrong. You know, in The Exorcist, yeah. we were talking about how the continuity of the cigarette was a bit longer in one shot than the other. It's like, oh, fuck <laughs> off. Seriously? That's all you've got. There is an argument that this film contains a lot of prison movie cliches. Right. You know, like the stern warden, the old timer with the pet, whether it's a mouse or a bird, and the wrongly convicted man, um, and even, you know, a prison breakout world. But it's it's the execution that's important it's like star wars is you know it's flash gordon mixed with akira kurosawa's hidden fortress and myth mythology but it's how it was executed you know like um like reservoir dogs it's a, it's just another story of a group of bank robbers and one of them's an undercover undercover copper but you don't even see the fucking bank heist which is like normally the main yeah. thing in one of those films and it's completely non-linear structure that's what makes it unique. It's um, Shawshank has these familiar tropes, but it's all played with and executed with such such confidence by everybody. You know, led ultimately, I guess, by uh, Frank Darabont. Well, this it's it's very sincere the way that they're putting it across. There's nothing. I mean, you could say that it's perhaps it almost dips into being a bit melodramatic or a bit schmaltzy or whatever, but it doesn't. It doesn't. It, it yeah. manages to get right to the fucking edge and pulls back before. It, and I think it's because it takes these things and and does them right to the point of perfection, almost breaking, that it achieves this status of like being one of the best films ever made. You know. I think for me, it's one of those films, it's it's one of those rare films that you put it on and you watch the whole fucking thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, for me, it's like Heat, The Godfather, The Holy Trilogy, First Blood, Jaws. You put them on, you watch the whole fucking thing. You don't stop and everybody has to shut up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I cannot pull anything from this one. Normally I can. Um, like with like continuity errors uh, or you could like uh, grumble about the colour of the earth coming out of his uh, trousers is slightly different than the shade of the the the, the wall that he's picking out like you could yeah. say that but why would you say that? Yeah I mean you could sit there and go right so does that mean that he's got holes in his pockets so how did he keep the stuff in his pockets to get out <laughs> of the yard to then tip it out the bottom of his head? oh fuck off 
<laughs> Paul, thanks for coming back on, mate. You're more than welcome. There we go. Many thanks to Paul Chanter for coming on and talking about Shawshank with me. And that is it up in the stars. We've got to head back down. We've got to head into the horror, the Stephen King horror. Yeah, let's get off this spaceship, shall we? It's too cold. <laughs> <laughs>